0: All right. Good morning, everybody. Great to see you. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for making River Glen part of your part of your weekend, part of your Sunday. Before we get going, some good things coming up. I want to tell you a little bit about like like this Thursday. If you're not in a small group, if you want to experience a new small group, just show up Thursday night, 6:30 in the lobby by the, the, the fireplace. We got this new group that's going to discuss what we talk about here today in the uh, in the message. And so it's an opportunity to dig a little deeper into that subject. It's a great way to get connected to other people. And then coming up in three weeks, look at this here, we're going to celebrate 20 years, 20th birthday for for River Glen. Yeah, we're excited about that. And uh, we're going to make it a special weekend. Got some special things planned. And you don't want to miss that weekend. We're going to celebrate what God's done. Look forward to making an even greater impact into the the future. And then just want to take a quick look further ahead. This is in May, end of May. Um, We're going to do this series called You Asked For It. And uh, we did this uh, last year. You're wondering, you know, why is he talking about a series that's coming up in May? Because you're going to help determine the subjects, and we, we want you to submit your questions. If you could ask God any question, what would you ask Him? There's a link in your listed in your program, the featured opportunities, also on our website. You can go there and uh, submit your questions, and then we'll try and answer uh, several of those questions in this series. We did this last year, and people seem to really enjoy it, and so we're going to do it again. And if you've got some friends, maybe they don't maybe they don't go to church. And uh, they got some questions about God. Send them the link, too. We'd love to get their input as well. All right. How's everybody doing today? Good. You doing okay? Good. You doing good? You know, to be honest, I'm a little, uh, little stressed out. Had kind of a busy, hectic uh, week. And I know I'm not the only one here. And so take a look and see if any of these scenes describe you. Boy, I tell you, some days, one of these days, it's just going to be like... <laughs> why does it say pepper jam when there is no pepper jam? So that's how you want to play it, old man? No dessert? Oh, sure. We'll eat our dinner right after you eat this. Ah! Sounds like a case of the Mondays. Oh, why didn't you just go home? What's that's your home! Are you too good for your home? Answer me! Out. Here's where Cameron goes berserk. Oh. Out. Uh, I thought about having us all that do all of us do that. But I thought maybe that's not a good way to start. But, you know, that's the way life feels sometimes. Hectic, hurried, frazzled, uh, noisy. Stress has a negative effect in all of our lives. You know, I wonder, how does stress affect you? You know, I know when I'm stressed out, I can tell I'm getting stressed out because here's what I'll do. I'll wake up earlier than normal and then I can't fall back to to sleep. And I had a morning like that uh, recently. A couple weeks ago, I went in for some outpatient surgery on my, uh, on my lower, uh, lower back, and uh, I'm doing really good. Things went uh, smooth, but I am on these uh, painkillers t- uh, today, these uh, narcotic painkillers, and so if I say something wrong, okay, I'm blaming the pills, all right, so pills fall. I'm kidding, I'm not taking any pills. But the, the day of the surgery was a little bit stressful. I had the surgery scheduled for Monday at noon, and so we had everything lined up, everything ready to go, and at the last minute... They moved me to my surgery to first thing uh, Wednesday morning. And when I say early Wednesday morning, I had to be at the hospital in Menominee Falls at 5 a.m. And so not a lot of sleep the night, uh, be, uh, night before, but I slept like a baby through the surgery. And then I, and I slept, you know, the rest of the morning and into the uh, afternoon. Finally, they released me in the evening and we stopped at the, the uh, pharmacy to get the prescription filled for those painkillers. And the pharmacy said, come back in about 30 minutes. So we went to get something to eat and then we came back and they said, you know what, we're sorry, our computers are down and we couldn't fill your prescription. And by now, most pharmacies are closed. Fortunately, we, we did find one open 24 hours. But then we got home and uh, it, it had been like an icy rain, just enough that we tried to get up our steep driveway and we almost got to the top and... The car starts sliding back down. The, the driveway almost went into the ditch, and uh, we had to put down some salt and, and shovel. It all worked out, but it was just one of those long, crazy, stressful uh, days. And uh, you know what I'm talking about a bit? We could go around the room right now, we could pass a microphone. And all of you could tell us about a day like that, a day filled with hurry and stress. And for some of you, it's not just a day. your life is filled. With worry and stress. And so today we're beginning this new series called Uncovered, that's gonna bring peace and calm and clarity into all all of our lives. Now, as we as we begin, I'm gonna make an assumption about everybody here. And I think it's a safe assumption, but I'm gonna assume that everybody here wants to become more like Jesus. And I know for many of you you've made that decision, you know, you followed, you made a decision to follow Jesus, you wanna become more like him. But there may be some here who are not sure about Jesus and what you believe about Jesus, but I would bet that you still want to become more like Jesus because Jesus faced more stress, adversity, and pressure than anybody else, but he always stayed calm and and, and peaceful and focused. And I think all of us want more of those qualities in our lives. But here's the problem when we think about becoming like Jesus, here's what we think. I want to be like Jesus in the big moments of his life. I want to have peace in the midst of stressful circumstances. I want to have self-control in when I'm feeling tempted like Jesus did. I want to love difficult people the way that Jesus did. I want to be able to forgive people the same as Jesus. I want to treat people with compassion just like he did. We want to be like Jesus in the big moments of life. But yet many of us look back on the opportunities that we've had in our life, to have peace like Jesus, to to treat people with love and and compassion and forgiveness and to exhibit self-control. And we say, I wanted to do it. I wanted to be like Jesus in that moment, but I blew it. I blew it, I blew it, I blew it. And here's why. And if you will grasp what I'm about to explain to you, this can be absolutely transforming in your spiritual life. Being like Jesus is not a matter of being like Jesus in the big moments of his life. You and I can only become like Jesus by following the example of the overall lifestyle that he chose for himself. You see, the reason Jesus did the right thing in the crucial moments is because he developed and maintained the right spirit, the right spiritual practices when he wasn't in those crucial moments. Let me try and illustrate it this way. You know, show of hands on this one. How many of you, when you were a kid, you played some kind of musical instrument, maybe in band or maybe in orchestra? You played some kind of musical instrument. Oh, quite a few. Quite a few of you. You know, believe it or not, I played saxophone. When I was in fifth grade, I started playing saxophone in the uh, in the band, and I started out strong. My parents got me this brand new shiny saxophone, and I would practice at home, I'd practice all the music, I'd practice the scales. Remember the, remember the, uh, remember the scales? And uh, I don't mean to brag, but I was first chair saxophone player at McKinley Elementary uh, School. But that all changed in seventh uh, grade because for some reason I stopped practicing the saxophone at home. I remember my parents saying things like, you know, we got you that saxophone and we never hear you play it any, any, anymore. And here's what happened. I went from first chair to second chair to third chair to no chair because I quit. And the reason I quit is because I had become, at best, a mediocre saxophone player because I didn't practice enough. And here's my point. I think many of us are like that spiritually. Some of us are like that spiritually. Maybe we got off to a strong start. Maybe we look really good on the outside. Maybe, we, maybe we've got a, a brand-new Bible and we go to church every weekend. Maybe we're even part of a small group. But the truth is we're never going to really have the peace of Jesus and the love and the joy and the self-control and the compassion of Jesus until we adopt the practices of Jesus in our lifestyle. Because if you want to be like Jesus in the spotlight moments of his life, you've got to develop the practices of Jesus in the uh, in the non-spotlight moments of, of life. Take a look at this fascinating scripture here from 1 Timothy chapter 4. It says, train yourself to be godly. Notice... It doesn't say try to be godly. No, you train yourself to be godly. You train yourself the way Jesus trained himself. You practice what Jesus uh, practiced. Think about it this way. If I said, you know, how many of you, you know, uh, show of hands, how many of you could go out tomorrow morning and run a 26-mile marathon? You know, I don't know, maybe a few hands would go up. But if I said, how many of you could go into training tomorrow... And nine months from now, go out and run a 26-mile marathon. Many of us would have the capacity to do that. But you have to train yourself for the marathon, and you've got to train yourself to be godly. In his book, uh, The Life You Always Wanted, John Ortberg puts it this way, spiritual transformation is not a matter of trying harder, but of training wisely. And so over the course of the next few weeks, I I, I want you to be here because we're going to help one another to train wisely. We're going to uncover spiritual practices of Jesus that many people have forgotten. They're kind of like a treadmill, you know, in the basement that's covered with clothes or, or, or like an exercise bike, you know, that's all, you know, covered up. Maybe it's surrounded by, by boxes. We're going to uncover these spiritual practices and learn how to train ourselves to have the peace and the calm and the clarity of Jesus. And today we're going to get started uh, by talking about the practice of solitude. Let me define it for you. Solitude is simply refraining, refraining from interacting with people in order to be alone with God and be found by him. It's choosing to step away from human relationship for a predetermined period of time in isolation or anonymity to make room for God to occupy our lives. I like how that says it's, it's, it's choosing to, to uh, step away in order to spend time alone with God to pursue spiritual goals. Now, I know that when, you know, many of us hear the word solitude, you know, we got some ideas that come into our head, some images that pop into our, our, our head. Maybe you think, solitude? Seriously? You know, you, ha- you haven't met my kids at home. Solitude? You know, you have no idea how noisy my roommate is. Or maybe some of you are extroverted. When you hear the word solitude, you think about a monk, Or a hermit, you know, living alone in the uh, desert. But that's not what this is about. This isn't about, you know, throwing away your cell phone and going to live in, in, in the woods. No, this is about making an intentional decision to spend time alone with God. And this isn't something, you know, only for, you know, crazy people or clergy or the most spiritually committed people. This is for all of us. All of us need to uncover this practice in order to train ourselves to become more like Jesus. And so what I want to do today is I want to show you some different ways Jesus practiced solitude. And I want to talk about how it can benefit our lives today. First of all, Jesus started his days with solitude. Mark tells us this in the first chapter of his gospel. He says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he Prayed. And so Jesus had a regular habit of starting his day with solitude, and this wasn't like a religious activity that he did that was like you know check the box on the list of things that made up his life. No, this was a relational activity that helped Jesus really connect uh, with his with his father. And so I want you to do me a favor, and I want you to think about think right now about how do you begin uh, your day? How do you start your day? Here's how I would begin my day: I'd start by you know checking checking uh, emails and checking text messages, and then checking the news. And I could just feel my thoughts and my emotions coil up and tighten, and my mind would start just racing in all kinds of directions, even before breakfast. And so a couple years ago, I made a, I made a, a decision to try and experiment. I did this on vacation, it was July 2014, we headed up to the Northwoods of Wisconsin for a week. And I just decided in my head, I decided, I'm going to try starting my day in a new way because what I was doing wasn't working. And it needed changing. And so I started practicing a few minutes of solitude, you know, before text messages and emails and the news and even before interacting with other other people. And you know what happened? I could feel the difference in my heart. I felt a little more relaxed. And more peace and less stress. And so I continued the practice. And you know what? When I miss a day, and sometimes I do, I can feel it. I can feel my stress level go up. And I think that's why Jesus began each day practicing solitude. Because it will bring peace and calm into your life throughout the day. And then second, we see Jesus managed busyness in solitude. I don't know if you ever think about this, but Jesus had a busy schedule. People demanded his time. His days filled up. Look at what Mark tells us, or not Mark, Luke says, that the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. And so picture this, Jesus begins his ministry and he does all these miracles that only the son of God could do. And People flock to hear him. They want to see him. They want to experience his, his, uh, his power of, of, of healing. And so what did Jesus do uh, to deal with the busyness and, and uh, uh, the, the opportunities that increased for him. The next verse tells us, take a look at this. Isn't this amazing? Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And so how does Jesus handle the busyness and the external responsibilities? It seems like the busier he got, the more committed he was to solitude. Now, I don't know about you, but that's some training I need in my life. Because the busier I get and the more opportunities I have, I tend to think I don't have time for solitude. I've got too much to do. I'm too busy. And I think there's probably a side in many of us that says, I can't escape to solitude. I've got too much to do. There's too many needs to meet. But for those of us that struggle with busyness and overscheduling, remember, remember this, we don't ever hear Jesus say, I'd like to get away for some solitude today, but I don't have time. I've got too much to do. There's too many needs that need meeting. No, Jesus knew that to be effective, to be helpful and useful to other people, he needed the peace and strength that solitude and silence would bring into his life. And then third, we see that Jesus made decisions in solitude. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus makes a major decision. Big decision. He chooses his 12 apprentices, his 12 disciples, also called the apostles. And this one decision would change the trajectory and the history of the, of the world because he would send these guys out to carry out his mission and start churches. It was a big deal. So what does Jesus do? Luke tells us Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. And he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called the disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. And so every day of our lives, we make decisions some big, some small. But Jesus found clarity by spending time alone with his Father, and we can too. I mean, the decisions that we make every day shape our lives. And so don't you want to receive God's wisdom? Don't you want to go to God and say, God, here is what is looming. God, uh, how, how should I deal with this? How would you deal with this? What do you want me uh, to do? It's interesting to me. Sometimes Jesus, when we study his life, he would take uh, you know, just a few minutes for solitude. Other times, like in this situation, he would take extended time to be alone. Because sometimes we just need a moment. Of solitude, but when 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 we face maybe a bigger decision, we need to maybe we need to take longer, extended time for solitude, like Jesus did. Either way, Jesus practiced solitude when making important decisions because we 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 hear from God more clearly in solitude. And then we see that Jesus processed pain in solitude. In one of the most difficult moments of his life, Jesus receives the news about the murder. Of John the Baptist. John the Baptist paved the way for Jesus. John the Baptist baptized Jesus. John the Baptist was literally family. He was the cousin of Jesus. And so when the news reaches Jesus, when Jesus finds out about John's death in his grief, what does Jesus do? How does he respond? Matthew chapter 14 describes it this way: it says, When Jesus heard what happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solid to a solitary place. Let me ask you, how do you deal with pain? How do you deal with it? My tendency is to avoid it or I try to distract myself from it or I try to solve it on my own. But in difficult times in my life when, when things fell apart and I couldn't do that anymore, here's what I discovered when I took time to step away and practice what Jesus practiced, Being alone with God. God didn't come and say, you know, here, let me wave my magic wand and control people and other circumstances so everything works out for you. No. Instead, what I found is this truth that God is always with us became very real to me. Because in the midst of of your pain, when you withdraw to just be with God, God is there with you. God sits with you. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've experienced this. And maybe some of you are in the midst of it. You know, right now there's just so much pain and disappointment in your life, whatever area it might be. Did you know that you can train yourself in solitude and you can experience the healing touch of God simply by going to God in silence and allowing him to be with you. He will bring you peace and calm and clarity. Solitude isn't the only action we should take when we're, dealing with pain in our, in our lives. Hopefully, we, we, when we're dealing with pain, we reach out to family and, and to friends and to our, our small group to, to allow them to also care for us. But there's a, there's, a, there's a peace that can only be found in silence and in, in solitude. And so I want to live like Jesus lived, with, with peace and clarity. And so I know that in order to, to become like Jesus, I've got to train myself in how I start my day and how I manage busyness, and how I make decisions, and how I process pain. And so I want to challenge you, give you some challenges as I challenge myself on how to do this. Let me give you three practical steps that really build on each other, I think that will help us uncover solitude in our lives today. First of all, start by having minute retreats. You know, maybe this idea of solitude just sounds so foreign to you and and monk-like. You know, that's okay. No need to, you know, jump to an extreme. You can begin your training by taking a minute to just be quiet and alone with God. I mean, literally, 60 seconds to pray and thank God and just be still and Ask God to be in charge of your life, whatever that might look like. You can take this minute, you know, while you have your morning coffee. You can, you can take this minute in the shower. You can take this minute on your commute to work. Any moment of our day can become a minute retreat. I know people who do this throughout the day. And they'll just stop and connect with God. Even if it's not absolutely quiet, you can begin your training by being alone with God for a minute of solitude, And as you do this and as you experience the benefits of this, you may want to expand your training to include daily retreats. This is where you start your day alone with God on a regular basis or perhaps another time of day alone with God on a regular basis. You know, for me personally, I like to start my day, um, you know, this way. And I, I, I pray and I thank God for what he's provided for me and I ask God to help me to hear from him and to respond to him throughout the day. This is where I like to take out my Bible and I do some reading and reflecting and writing and, and praying. And for me, this isn't in-depth Bible study. In-depth Bible study is important and has value and it has its place. But this is more reading and reflecting and meeting with God. A tool that really helped me, maybe this will help you, is a, a plan, a Bible reading plan. And a great place to go is Uversion.com, and you can download the Bible app. And there are literally... Hundreds of of plans, daily reading plans on different subjects, different, different scriptures, different books of the Bible that you can download for free. And I think you'll be amazed if you train yourself to start your day focusing on God at the peace and the perspective that God brings you throughout your day. You'll be amazed at how God begins to change you. From the inside. And I would invite those of you who maybe feel unsure about Jesus. Maybe you're not sure what you believe about Jesus. I think one of the best things you can do at that in that phase of your journey is is to take some time for for solitude. Maybe you take out a Bible. You could take the, the Bible in front of you in the chair back. That's our gift to you. Maybe you open it up to the book of John, Gospel of John, and just start reading in solitude. Let it speak to you. Think about your life think about Jesus here's a scripture for you from Lamentations chapter 3 the Lord is good to those who wait for him to the person who seeks Him it is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord you know for all of us you know when we when we're, when we're silent before God, when we spend time in solitude with God that allows God to speak more directly into our lives and then lastly as solitude becomes part of part of your training to be godly you might want to try and extend it retreat. I know people who just take an entire day seasonally. They take a whole day just to just to uh, go be with God, go be alone with God. You know, I know people who love to go into nature for extended time and, and focus on God. A couple years ago, some friends, a friend of mine recommended this retreat center to me. It's located in Racine. It's on the shore of Lake Michigan. They welcome everybody. Great place. It's called Siena Retreat Center. Great place to go for an extended retreat or an extended time of, of solitude. I've had the opportunity to go there a few times and, and every time I leave, feeling closer to, to, uh, to God. Some friends of mine put together a possible retreat schedule for an extended retreat. Some ideas of what you might, might do. You can pick us up at the, re, at the uh, uh, resource center in the lobby or you can go to our website. And there's some very helpful ideas, ideas that would, would help us really uh, do any of these three retreats. That, uh, that we're talking about. But I want you to remember that these retreats build on each other. And so, you know, don't just expect right out of the gate, you know, to go on an extended retreat. Give yourself some time and grace to get there. The important thing is to remember God is with you. Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I am God. Habakkuk chapter 2 says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Look at this. Let all the earth be silent. Before Him, God longs for us to be still and silent before him. And so instead of just talking about solitude today, we're going um, to practice it. We're going to have an opportunity to practice it in a moment. We actually do this every week. If you think about it, communion is really a time of solitude. A time to silence ourselves. And in a few moments, we're going to have a different communion experience. Because we're going to do this in silence. There's not going to be any music playing and you're going to hear coughs in the background. You're going to hear the footsteps of the people serving the <clears throat> communion trays and the trays rattling and, and things like that. We're going to hear all that. But we're going to try and take a little mini-retreat these next few moments. As we prepare, I want you to think about the different words that we use to describe this part of, the, of our service. You know, sometimes we'll refer to it as the Lord's Supper. And, I, and when we think of the Lord's Supper, we tend to think about what Jesus did for us. His death his burial, and his resurrection. And when we think about the Lord's Supper, it it tends to fill us with gratitude for what Jesus did for us. But we also use the word communion. And it, it sounds like communication, but it's really built more on the word commune. And to commune really isn't to talk. It's to be with. Sometimes they'll say, I'm going to go commune with nature. And when you go commune with nature, you're not really talking. It means you're going to be still, you're going to be present, and you're going to be aware of what's going on in nature around you. And so let's use these next few moments to commune with Jesus. Not so much talking, but being aware that he is here with us. Because I'm telling you, Jesus is here with us as much as he is anywhere on this planet and so I want to invite you to take the next few moments and just forget about the people around you and imagine that you're alone with Jesus. And think, so think about him. Open your heart to him. Pray to him. Relax in him. Hear him say to you, be still and know that I'm with you. And so I'm going to pray and then it's just going to be a, a time of, of, of silence and awareness that Jesus is here for us to commune with him. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we know that that you're here because you said so. You promised you would be here. Would you help us to have a greater awareness of your presence today? We ask you in, in the midst of our silence in these next few moments to show yourself to us. We want to experience more and more of your love, more of your grace, more of your peace and joy as we meet here together today. Remembering your death. Remembering your body and blood sacrificed for us. And because of that, we experience your life here and now in this room, in this place. As we commune with you. And we ask this in your name. Amen.